how to get themselves out of it. And they may come, and, and the senior pastor who's there has heard this many times, they may come and just beg for help, like please just get me out of this. I've tried so hard and I just, I can't do it myself. I need someone else to be here with me. And the pastor will always agree, he always wants to help. But as you're helping these people occasionally, after church or after Bible study or after one of the uh, daily things that they're doing with these people, they'll ask for a ride home and they'll take them home. And if you just wait to see where they go, oftentimes where they ask to be dropped off, they'll immediately go into a house of a known heroin dealer. They'll immediately, right after church, right after hearing about how they're forgiven, how God will help them break through this garbage in their life, they immediately go right back to the junk that got them there in the first place. And so as you continue to see that, I have no idea how you deal with that. That would stress me out to no end, but this pastor has been there for years. And so all he does it is he continues to work with these people. He goes in day in, day out, for months at a time, and for some, they get clean. They get to the point where they've broken free of this addiction. And all they wanna do is help other people get out of that too, but this pastor, he's seen them get sucked back in too many times, and so what he'll do is he'll take them out of Detroit, give them a, a pretty decent check, it's not gonna last them for a lifetime at all, but it's something to get them started, and a bus ticket. And tells them, I never want to see you again. The addiction is, is too much. It's too great. You asked me for help, and this is what I can do for you. And so as he sends them off into whatever situation they're going into next, he knows he's at least sending them away from this junk, away from this darkness, away from this addiction, and it might seem cruel, it might seem unfair, but this is the only way that this pastor knows to help these people. It's the only way he can think to separate them from the sin and from the darkness that's plaguing their lives. And what was so cool is that story describes almost exactly what Revelation is all about. See, as we've been reading through Revelation, last week you heard about the seven seals, and as you're hearing the different seals as they're being broken and what's going on, you may be thinking, man, God is just a little kid who's mad because his dog bit him, and now he's beating his dog. But in reality, this is God attempting to show you how he wants you to turn back to him. For those of you who are parents, you may have uh, a child who has been bad on occasion, and you know, when that kid first does something that they're not supposed to do, you wanna extend grace. You wanna share with them like, hey, you know, I still love you, we don't do that, we don't hit grandma, you know, we do something, we, we, we try to, to be nicer. But if they continue to do that stuff, if they continue to hit grandma, if they continue to lie, if they continue to steal, if they continue to do a bunch of junk, Grace is maybe not the best option. You know, maybe you gotta put them in timeout. Maybe you gotta spank them. Maybe you gotta lock them in their room with no toys. Maybe, I'm, I mean, I don't know. As it gets worse, you have to ratchet up the consequences. You have to ratchet up the impact that you're having on them. And sometimes grace is not the best way to deal with it. Sometimes you need some wrath. And it's not meant to destroy. It's meant to bring that child back to where they need to be. And so that's where God is in Revelation. He's tried to extend grace. He's tried to just give us forgiveness, to let us know how much he loves us. And for some of us, that was enough. For us in this room, we're here. How great. But how many people are out there right now that want nothing to do with this? 
And so Revelation is describing God's last ditch effort to turn the people he created back to him. But so as we're jumping into this last week, again, y'all heard about the seven seals, and those seven seals are our first look, our first camera angle, our first replay of what's going to happen from Pentecost through Judgment Day. And so as you looked at that, what you may have seen is it's an example of man versus man. As the seals are broken, war is breaking out. Other men are killing other men. Humanity is imploding on itself. And as we get into the seven trumpets, we're going to see a very similar time period because it's still, it's still from Pentecost to Judgment Day. It's just our second look. And what it is is it's a look at creation turning on man, creation exploding on man to try to warn them because our God does not just come with wrath and judgment just out of the blue. He's trying to warn you to let you know you're not living the life I wanted for you. And so what he's doing is he's allowing nature to turn on us to show us you need to repent. How many of you have heard of global warming? Good. If your hand is not up, I think you're lying. But global warming is something that we talk about on, for a lot of people on a daily basis. And is man responsible? Could be. But that's also a warning. Instead of global warming, think of it as global warning. How creation is turning on us, is showing us, you need to repent, you need to turn back. Now as we look at this, we're gonna see more examples of where that's at, and how the world is showing us God is coming soon. Are you ready? And then in a few weeks, you're gonna hear something about the seven bulls, and that will be God versus man the final showing of how God is utilizing wrath in order to help his people turn from their sinful ways and come back. And the reason that it may seem as though uh, it's unfair or maybe unjust or like God is just treating us poorly is because in our minds, when we're thinking, you know, God, can you fix all the garbage in this world? Can you fix all the sin, all the darkness, everything like that? We think he's gonna do it nicely. You know, he's just gonna turn everyone's hearts and everyone's gonna love each other and it'll be a really nice place, you know, with pillows uh, and, and whatever other fun things you like, fluffy stuff, horses, um, whatever you're into. Um, but in reality, God knows what's best. He knows what we need. He knows what we need to experience. And so, really, he's giving us what we asked for. And some of you may not know that, but this is how we'll start off today in uh, jumping in in chapter eight. If you wanna follow along, I would encourage you to have a Bible open because we have four chapters worth of material to get to. So if you think of this like you have just put your face right in front of a fire hydrant and I'm just gonna open it on you, uh, that will be your experience today. Take what you can, get what you can. Um, if you have any questions, uh, I'm also gonna have my email up here because if you have questions, I would just love for you to email me uh, and that gives me more of an idea of what we're doing because uh, oftentimes I will skip over something that I'm like, oh, we don't need to talk about that or I dealt with it enough. Um, and you'll think, no, I would like to know more about that. And so please email me um, with how I preached Revelation wrong uh, or 
um, just questions that you have about it. Uh, and Josh is also available for um, the right answers if you don't agree with me. Because oftentimes, uh, in Revelation, there's a lot of room for interpretation. There's a lot of room um, to where I can tell you, man, this is what it means, I think, and you'll be like, no, Kevin, that's trash, that's wrong. Uh, your education is incorrect and this is what it means. Uh, and that's okay, because uh, in the end, we win, all right? Jesus came for all of us. If we disagree on how the end comes, it does not put your salvation in jeopardy. But what's cool is we get to look at this, we get to see how God is utilizing wrath, but at the same time, we can take comfort in recognizing how when we start to see these things, how close we really are to being in eternity and perfection. So as we're jumping in here again, we're gonna start in eight, verse two, and we're just gonna give you a little bit of how you asked for this to happen. So in chapter eight, verse two, in that first little section there before uh, verse seven, when the first trumpet is sounded, what we have is a description of an angel that is coming up to the altar of the Lord and is bringing all of the prayers of God's people with it. And what this angel is doing is it's combining the prayers of God's people. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we lift up prayers for all of our people, combining it with incense and offering it up to God. A pleasing aroma to bring these, these supplications to him, these questions we have for God to him. And then he takes it and he hurls it to the ground and, and it seems like, well, why are you destroying our prayers? But in reality, what he's doing is he's lifted up all these prayers that we've given to God and God has answered our prayer. Because whether you know it or not, when we ask for God to heal those who are sick, when we ask for God to take away this affliction from us, when we ask for God to just rid us of whatever junk and garbage is going on in our lives, it's really summed up in two phrases. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And so what we're asking for here is that God would just rid the world of sin, darkness, and evil, and instead bring his kingdom to us so that we can live in perfection and love and grace forever. But then when we say that will be done, what we're doing is we're recognizing that we can't do it on our own. We can't pull ourselves out of whatever addiction or garbage we're stuck in. We need someone else. And so what we're telling God is bring your kingdom and do it your way. And so he does. And so as we jump into these seven trumpets, there's three things I want you to remember. Um, and I did not put any of them on the screen, so I'm just gonna say them slow and you can write them down uh, and that'll be fine. The first thing is that Jesus is God's grace. See, God first attempted to extend grace to us in order to help us see to turn back to him. And Jesus was that grace. Number two, God's wrath is his last ditch effort to get his people to turn back to him. And then number three, the seven trumpets are describing creation versus man. It's our second look at this time period. It's the same thing we've seen in the, uh, last week and we'll see in a few weeks from now. But it's our second look at the end times and it's looking specifically at how creation is versus man. And again, we'll just leave my email up on the screen because I don't have any other content. Uh, and uh, you can write it down if you don't like something I've said or if you really wanted to tell us just how great this series is going. We also love positive reviews. That's good too. So the first trumpet is sounded off. And as the first trumpet is blasted, this is in verse seven. What we're seeing is as that trumpet is sounded, 
hail and fire come from the sky. And specifically, it describes how as the hail and the fire is coming down, there is a third of the earth that was burned up, a third of the grass, a third of the land, a third of everything, well, all the grass, but there's a third of most things that people would see and be like, oh dang, like that's a big deal. But what's important about this is as you're looking at that number one third, one third refers to restraint. Whenever you see the number one third, what you're seeing is that God is fully capable of totally wiping us off the earth. But instead, what he's decided to do is only take a third of it to show you, look at how powerful I am. Are you really gonna reject me? And so through the hail and the fire, through this first trumpet, God is sending a warning shot, burning up a third of what is on the earth in order to show the people, I can do this. Then as the second angel sounds his trumpet in verse eight, There's something like a huge mountain that explodes into the sky and the explosion, the fire that goes up into the sky goes into the water and turns it into blood. And so what you see is a third of the sea is turned to blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships are destroyed. So again, we see this this moment of restraint where even though this trumpet was blasted, even though God had said, I'm going to wipe these out, He's only taken away a third, so that we see once again another opportunity of God giving us to turn back to him. But then as we look at this, it says like a mountain. And when you're looking at that, you may wonder, okay, so that probably is a volcano. We just had this volcano in Hawaii that erupted n times. We did it. So we've been able to take a present day reality and apply it here in scripture. And could that be true? Most definitely. Could it just be coincidence? Also, also true. More than likely why this was written in such a way where it's like a huge mountain all ablaze is because this was written in 90 AD. That's when John is writing this this revelation for all people to be able to read. And as a, a follower of Christ would pick this up, they'd be so familiar with the Old Testament and so familiar with what has already happened in their world that when they read this, they'd be like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Because 18 years before this was written, Mount Vesuvius exploded and completely annihilated the city of Pompeii. So these people would be able to see this and think, oh dang, this has got to work. We're already in the end times. We're already in a moment where God's coming back soon. And there's a lot yet to do. But for us today in this present culture, we could look to volcanoes and see that as most definitely an example of creation turning against man. But notice in here it's referring to something like a mountain, something that's huge, something that's gigantic. And as we look around at our cultures, we look around at our world, how many skyscrapers do we have? How many different buildings that look like they touch the sky that look like a mountain? And then we have examples like 9-11 where those buildings are taken down and fire is thrown up into the sky, and it's brought down to earth. We see the different examples that come on in our world of what this book of Revelation is talking about. Then the third angel sounded his trumpet, and as this one was blasted, there was a great star, something like a blazing torch, something like a meteor that came down from the sky and struck the earth, and a third of the rivers were turned bitter. All of the rivers, all of the oceans, all of the lakes, everything 
A third of them all were turned bitter. And in this sense, when they're saying bitter, they're saying poisonous. And if you look specifically in verse 11, it says the name of the star is Wormwood, which could also be translated as bitterness. But then in some of the languages as we were coming up, it can also be translated or translated from the word Chernobyl. And so for a lot of people, they're thinking the bitterness, the poison in the waters, back then it would have made sense. Oh, a meteor's come. We don't know what's in that. It comes from outside of our world. The water's poison. But for us today, you can look at nuclear activity, nuclear explosions, nuclear warfare that could come in and utterly destroy our water, our drinking source, our, our, our source of life. And as we're looking at that, it's us using the creation that God has put around us in order to create something to destroy ourselves. And then the fourth angel sounded his trumpet. And here we have our last section of a third of things being destroyed. See, we've had a third of the vegetation being destroyed. We've had a third of the water being destroyed. We've had a third of the living creatures being destroyed. And now we have a third of the light that illuminates our world being destroyed. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars in the sky are totally wiped out. Darkness has overtaken the world. And the reason behind this is to do exactly what God was intending to do with the Egyptians, to show them the fear that they could experience, to, to, to show them that he was powerful enough to blot out the sun in the sky. But then as we're looking at this and we're trying to apply it to our, our world today, what darkens the sun? What blocks out the stars? What covers up the moon? could very well be the pollution that we're creating. Going back to this idea that global warming is real, that we as a people are ruining this world, but in reality, are we ruining it? Or is the world trying to warn us that it's not so much what we're doing to the world, but it's what we're doing to ourselves, what we're doing to each other, how we're being sucked in to sin, sucked back into that addiction, that temptation that continues to plague our world, and that the physical darkness that we're seeing it's just an example of the internal darkness that we're continuing to grow in. And so as you're looking at this fourth trumpet and at these first four trumpets that we've just talked through, you're seeing examples of how the creation around us is either being destroyed or is being utilized in such a way as to attack man, to warn man, to show man you need to turn back to God. And then we have a little interlude coming at the end of chapter eight in verse 13. And this is where John sees an eagle flying over everything that he's looking at. And the eagle shouts out, woe, woe, woe to you. And what that means in, in our code, as we're cracking the code of Revelation here, is everything you have just seen, these first four trumpets, they were all warnings. They're examples of what God is going to do, how God is going to use creation to show you you need to turn back to him. But they are nothing compared to these next three. If the fact that God used creation to show his power wasn't enough for you, woe to you. And so as we get into these next three, these next three trumpets are known as the first, second, and third woe. And this is exactly what we had talked about at the start. 
If your child refuses to listen to the grace that you've extended them, if your child has refused to to change their ways after putting them in time out or after spanking them even, you have to ratchet up the consequences even more. You have to ratchet up the showing of your power and how they're doing wrong even more in order for them to truly see I'm messing up. And so we move into the fifth trumpet, the first woe. And what happens here is a star falls from the sky and that star is given the key to the abyss and is given permission to unlock hell, to unleash hell on on, on all the earth, to unleash all of the darkness that is kept locked away in order to show God's power and to show how without him you're broken. And this is where we get An example from our reading that we had today, this is uh, an example of the locusts that come out because in Egypt, God sent the typical locusts you would expect to see to Egypt to eat all of the greenery, all of the vegetation, all of the trees, all of the grass, everything living that was a plant from the ground. But in this next section, in chapter nine here, where the fifth angel blasts his trumpet, the locusts are much different. They're told to totally avoid all of the plant life, all of the vegetation, everything on the ground, and instead to solely go after mankind. And these locusts aren't normal. These locusts have faces like men. They have tails like scorpions. They're given total permission and control to go after mankind, to sting them, to torture them, and to torment them. And during this time, people are gonna be screaming for death. They're gonna be asking to just be, be killed, but they can't. Because God is using this moment to show them, you need to turn back to me. Look at my power. I want you with me. And so as all hell is being unleashed on the earth, those who have not turned back to God are being tortured. But in those moments, also in verse four, just to take heart as as we're sitting here in church, Uh, because I know we've talked about the Hebrew view and I know we've talked about the Western view in either Bible study or a few weeks ago. When we're talking about this sort of thing, some people believe you're gonna be raptured up first. You're gonna escape all of this junk that's going on in the world around you and that, that could very well be true. Whether you believe that or not does not put your salvation in jeopardy. But I... I am part of the group that believes that we will be here on earth while all of this is going on. I believe that for most of this that we're seeing, we're already experiencing it. Maybe not all of it to the fullest extent, but we're starting to see the brokenness and the evil and the hell that has been unleashed on us all around us. But notice in verse four what it says. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so as we continue to live in faith, to follow Jesus, to seek him out in all that we're doing, know that we're protected. We're not the ones being tormented. And we can also help save others from being tormented in this this horrific way. And so after the first woe is passed, next we move into the sixth trumpet. And in the sixth trumpet, it's called the last battle. And this is referring to the battle against Satan and how Satan is actually given total and utter permission to just go out and kill 
all those who continue to reject God. Not all of them, to kill only a certain amount, but still, Satan has been, has unleashed hell, and now Satan is being unleashed. Set free to go and take on everyone and everything in order to show God's power. And something else to notice in here as we're looking at the sixth trumpet, is if you remember last week from the sixth seal and as you hear in the next uh, few weeks about the sixth bowl, Satan is always the sixth entity, the sixth thing, the sixth being, the sixth activity going on. Because if you remember from our our code legend that we had uh, the very first week when Josh started this, six is a number of incompletion and the number for Satan is six, six, six. And so as we're looking at three different examples of three different camera angles of this time from Pentecost until Judgment Day as the sixth seal, the sixth trumpet and the sixth bowl are unleashed on the world, it's Satan. It's describing Satan. And what's really cool about next week is next week we'll get to dive in a little bit more about who Satan is, what happened to him, how he became who he was, and to talk about that some more. But as you're looking at this, Satan is giving free reign to kill those people. Now as we're hearing about this and you hear the number 666, the temptation in our world is to take that and try to to make it fit. For example, uh, the most recent thing I saw, um, well, the music industry, everyone seems to think, oh, well, Eminem sold his his soul to the devil, so that's why he's famous. Um, But the most recent thing I saw was actually for monster energy drinks. I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard of those, hopefully. Um, The label that they have, it's just on a can, and it's just an M. But this person took it as far as to say that, well, those those three lines that make up the M, those are all wows, which is a Hebrew letter. And it happens to be the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so this person came to the conclusion that monster energy drink is Satan trying to get you to drink monster energy drink um, so it'll kill you faster. Could that be true? Most definitely. Is it most likely true? We don't know. And so something we can take from this right here is to recognize that there will be some people who are going to take the imagery, the numbers, the symbols, everything in Revelation and try to shove it in front of you in such a way as to distract you from what's really important. And what's really important is this next interlude that we have here. What's really important is the words that we have in this book is the message that we are given through those men and women who were inspired throughout all of history to share their stories so that we would know how our God continues to work from the very second of creation until that final judgment day. And so after Satan has been unleashed, we flip over to chapter 10. And what we have here is an angel and the little scroll. And if you remember from last week, last week there was a huge, gigantic scroll that John saw. And he was told all that's going to happen to man is in the scroll. And he wept because he couldn't open it, because no one could open it. It was too great. It was too incredible to be opened by just a normal person. But then Jesus came. And Jesus was able to open it. Jesus was able to share what was going on, and so John was able to hear that, but here we have another scroll, a small little scroll that this angel, this great incredible angel that has been sent to the earth is holding. 
And as John is walking forward, he's told to ask for that scroll. So he goes up like, hey, can I have this scroll? The angel's like, yeah, but I need you to eat it. And when you eat it, it's gonna taste sweet. It's gonna taste like honey because this is exactly what you need. It's wonderful. But after you eat it and it gets into your stomach, it's, it's gonna be sour. It's going to hurt your stomach. It's going to, to, to make you struggle. And what that's showing us is that this little scroll, this little bit that John is given in order to see what's coming next, that's God's word. And when we first get the opportunity to hear it, to learn it, the gospel, it's sweet. Grace has saved you. The fact that Christ went to the cross and died for you, you're totally wiped clean. When all of this happens, the seal of God is already on you. But then as you continue to digest it, to dwell in it, to think on it, to allow it to just sit within you, it can start to turn sour because as you realize that you personally as an individual know what Christ has done, know where you will be in the end, you also know that your neighbor who wants nothing to do with Jesus also has an end. And it's not going to be the same as yours. It's not going to be in heaven. It's not going to be with God. It's going to be an eternal torment where these seven seals and these seven trumpets and these seven bowls will seem like nothing compared to, to the utter terror that is coming for them next. And so as you continue to think on that, the word of God as it just sits inside of you can sometimes cause you to fear or to be distressed or to freak out. Because what about this person? Which then leads us into chapter 11 the two witnesses, and a lot of people speculate that these two witnesses are the Old Testament and the New Testament. But there are some others, and I tend to agree with them, that these two witnesses are actually you. It's your worship and your proclamation. It's your actions and the words that you speak. And so what each of these are, what each of these mean, first you have your worship, your actions. And we're not talking about, you know, coming in here on Sunday morning, you stand up when uh, Tavarius is up here singing, you sit down when Tavarius goes down and sits down. Like, we are talking about the things that you do in your life, the things that you do in spite of the hell that continues to be unleashed upon you and unleashed upon everything in this world. How do you respond to the fact that these seals, these trumpets, and these bowls we're already in this process. We're already experiencing this, this, this wrath. How do you respond to that? And what's cool is, all of us, as well as everyone out there, even people who don't believe, we have an innate knowledge that there's something more than just us that there's something greater than we are. And science is working as hard as it can, not all science, science is good, but there are some scientists that are going as hard as they can into proving how, no, it's all the Big Bang, it's all this, it's all evolution, it's all these missing links, we just have to find them. But a truth that comes out of that is it's so much harder to try to put all these pieces together 
than it is to just trust that you have a God who created you, who created all of your inner workings, everything that you are, and made you because he loves you. And so as we look at that simple truth, when these sort of things come up in our lives, when we get addicted to something, maybe some, some tragedy pops up in our world, how do you respond to that? Another buddy of mine who we got the opportunity to go and see, um, he's now in his second year of ministry. And uh, a couple of months ago, he, uh, he and his wife texted Liz and I and let us know, hey, we're pregnant. And it's like, oh, congratulations, that's so cool. And then I remember a few weeks later, they were texting us, they were on a train and uh, she wasn't feeling very good. Uh, and they had gone to the doctor because there were some potential complications with the pregnancy. And then uh, she got back to her seat after going to the bathroom and told her husband, uh, I just had a miscarriage. And so we got the opportunity on vacation to go up and visit with them, to see them as friends, but also to just see how they're doing and to talk with them about what are you going through right now? Because this is an example of the hell that is being unleashed on this world. A consequence of sin is that death happens. And it can be heartbreaking. And it can be something that causes you to completely doubt the one who has already saved you. To doubt what Christ has done on the cross for you. And so as we're talking with them, she is obviously dealing with some anger towards God and what he's doing. But a really cool thing that they did is days after the miscarriage happened, he jumped on a video and told his entire church and his entire community about how this had happened, how horrible it was, and yet how he was still going to see what God was doing for him how he was still going to move forward in the plan that God had laid out for him, how he was going to utilize this to be able to reach others, and how Christ was still flowing through him, and how although this tragedy is horrific, he knows God still loves him. And so his response to the hell that had been unleashed on his life, his worship, his actions, will show countless people how even in the spite of, of utter anger, rage, and what seems to be so, so stupid and unfair, we still trust that God's watching out for us. God's caring for us. God's got a plan for us. And then the second witness is exactly what he did, to speak of the love that God has for you through Christ. Because so often, we get into a situation where you're with a friend who you know doesn't know Jesus or who you know isn't where they need to be. And your thought is, well, we're, we're friends and if I bring up this Jesus stuff, they're just gonna get mad at me. They think I'm gonna judge them. They think I'm, I'm telling them how to live their life and I, I don't want that. Well, let me hopefully clear the air for you here. And, and this is speaking to me too. I'm not, I'm not perfect at this. I have friends who I'm still terrified to talk about Jesus with. But what we are essentially saying to them is go to hell. Because I value your rejection of me over God's rejection of you. And so when you have the opportunity to share Jesus with someone who doesn't know them, you need to take it. 
Don't fear what's gonna happen next. Don't fear at the loss of a relationship. It can be incredibly scary and hard, but it's also incredibly rewarding to see how God works through those situations, how God works through those opportunities. And also to know that when you fail, and it's a when, not an if, when you fail, the grace that God has already given to you in Jesus covers you for that sin too covers you for that mistake just as much as any other one that you would have committed. With these two witnesses, if you go home and you read through uh, 8 through 11, when you get to 11, what you're going to notice is that through your worship and through your proclamation, through your actions and through your words, there's going to come a time when it seems like you're not making any difference. Like the darkness in our world and in our culture is just coming over and winning out at every situation and every day. And that's written about in here too. There will actually be a day where what you're doing is basically meaningless. Where you will just be laid out in the street and the rest of culture is just going to laugh at you. They're just gonna tell you how dumb you are for believing in this, this God stuff, this fairy tale. And you may die thinking, I've failed. But as you continue to read chapter 11, what you're going to see is that those two witnesses, you, will be raised up and called into the loving arms of your father. Even though this world, this culture, this darkness is going to seem like it just swallows you up, it snuffs out the church of God, in the end, we win. We all win. And the victory that we get to celebrate will be with everyone that we've been able to reach, with everyone that we've risked everything to share Jesus with. And that victory is described as we look to the seventh trumpet towards the end of chapter 11 here. And when this seventh trumpet is sounded, there are loud voices in heaven proclaiming to God. There are loud voices in heaven screaming out praises to the one who created us, the one who put us here, and the one who has now called us home to live in perfection forever and ever. See, with the seven seals, what's being described is how those who don't believe They'll be tormented forever, but the seventh trumpet describes those who do believe, those who do follow, those who are with Christ to the very end. And what it is is a reminder, a comfort that once again, you who are here right now, you who are hearing this message, you who continue to live a life seeking Christ, seeking God, you're saved. You will be with him in the end. But it's also a reminder that there are still people who at this point, they will be in hell. You have a job to do, a job that, that Christ started, that Christ has described to you, that Christ has been pouring into us, giving us the perfect example of what that looks like. And so as you leave today, remember, you win. Through Jesus, we will be in heaven. This judgment, this wrath, God will free us from it. 
But until that day, we have a job to do to continue to expand his kingdom and to help all we can see that Jesus is their Lord and that because of him, they are filled with his grace and they are forgiven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the love that you share with us, for the love that you give to us, and that in a last-ditch effort, you continue to do everything in your power to help turn all of us back to you. Lord God, I ask you to please instill in each and every one of these people in this room to just instill in them boldness and confidence, to trust that you will give them the right words to say, to trust that you will help them to overcome their fear of rejection and to share Jesus with everyone that they meet, with everyone that they interact with, in order to know that on that final day when you do return, that final day when your kingdom finally comes, we can look around and see so many more people, so many more that maybe we wouldn't have even expected, but because you gave us the boldness, Lord, we took a chance. Now we get to see them being welcomed into your loving arms. Lord, we thank you so much for this word, for this challenge that you have given to us here in the book of Revelation and just ask you to please help us to continue to digest it and to utilize it to reach out to everyone and anyone we can. All these things we lift up to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.